Welcome back to the podcast, everyone, for episode number 66 with Andy Mitchell. Andy Mitchell is the author of the New York Times best-selling memoir, It Was Me All Along, which chronicles her journey to lose 135 pounds and her lifelong struggle with food, weight, and body image. Today, she is a writer and recipe developer whose inspiring story and work has been featured on Good Morning America, Dr. Oz, The View, and in magazines like People, Marie Claire, Elle, Shape, Glamour, and many, many more. She lives in New York City, where she writes a weekly column for Yahoo Health and maintains her first love, her blog, CanYouStayForDinner.com. If you have been following me for a few months now, maybe not even that long, you know that I read her book, It Was Me All Along, and absolutely devoured it. It was amazing. One of those books that I I could not put down for a a few days. I just didn't want to stop. I remember I was taking a trip at the time, and I read it all the way on the flight, at the trip, all the way back. I was obsessed with this book. I don't know exactly what it was just about her honesty, the rawness, her vulnerability, but Andy Mitchell lost over 130 pounds, 135 pounds to be exact, on her journey. But she was on both sides of the spectrum. When she was younger, she was, um, what she will say, fat. And as she got older into college, she was fat. And then she learned how to eat differently for... um, out of love and out of joy and then she lost a whole bunch of weight and then experienced orthorexia so she can she can share her insights on both sides of the spectrum she's been through a lot so needless to say we are so honored to have her on the show today this is a true treat and i really hope you enjoy this episode Um, This podcast is brought to you by Body Freedom, my program, the place to be if you want to stop obsessing over food, exercise, and dieting and want to start finally experiencing your full potential in life by extending the boundaries of freedom. If you want to stop studying calorie contents, staying up night researching articles on is this food good, is this food good, what's better, weights or HIIT training, then this is a great starting point for you. If you want to check it out, head on over to maddiemoon.com slash bf and you can see what my program is all about. Next up, I want to do the review of the week, and this one is from Redhead Ken. He says, inspiring and motivating with five stars. This show is wonderful. Although I'm a guy, the information and interviews really resonate with me. This show has provided me with insights and motivations that are helping me along my journey to wellness. Thanks, Maddie. You are so very welcome, Redhead Ken. I am delighted that you listen to this show. Even though you're a guy, and I hope that some of the people I have had on the past and in the future are helping you with your journey. And last but not least, a really exciting piece of news that I want to share with you is that I started a Facebook group just for the listeners of this podcast and for the readers of my site. If you want to join the group, you can either go to the show notes for this podcast at maddiemoon.com mbm66. Or you can just go straight to Facebook and search for the MBM Tribe, and you will find the MBM Tribe. Um, Just request to join, and then I will accept you as soon as I see your request. So far, the group has been pretty phenomenal. Uh, There's been a lot of sharing of favorite books, sharing a favorite podcast of videos. It's an extremely supportive space already, and I've only had it around for less than a week. 
needless to say, I am very excited about this Facebook group. Um, and I have a few plans for it. I have a few surprises. So don't miss out on that. Start the community. Be a part of the community while it's small and it's just getting started. I think this will be a great resource, even if you don't use Facebook much, just to pop on every once in a while and hear about new inspirations and other people like the people I have on my show that you can start including in your day-to-day life. Just reading their work, listening to their work. Um, The MBM tribe is the place to be for that. So join there, and I think it's time to go head on over to the show. Welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. The show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon, a former fitness model gone sane and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more insight on how to stop food and exercise from controlling your life, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. Well, how was Dr. Oz? Oh, okay. So Dr. Oz is, okay, so it's tomorrow morning. Well, tomorrow, like mid-morning. And um, I have, I'm going there. I have to film this segment on, two segments on stretch pants, like the phenomenon of women wearing stretch pants and how it's like not always the best thing for your health or like, you know, kind of like staying, let's say like accountable to your health goals, just because it's like you're wearing pants that expand, you know, no matter what or how much you eat. So there's that. But then also, you know, the phenomenon of like, you know, you're, you kind of when you wear stretch pants, nowadays, constantly, you get into this, I think, like a stretch pants state of mind, which is one of like, a little bit of complacency, a little bit like maybe you don't kind of feel as good every day as as you might, like if you got dressed and you felt a little bit more confident, so your choices might be different. Or So I'm kind of talking about that and like talking to other people who do the same thing because it's easy for me like now that I work from home all the time to do the whole like yoga pants every day. And it's it's like it gets me into this mode where I'm not always like, feeling my best you know and like I'm less motivated like less committed to health do you know what I mean like can you relate to that in some capacity so much it's funny that you brought this up because this is something that I was talking with to my boyfriend about yesterday um not exactly what you're saying but just how I forgot what he was saying he was saying something about along the lines of stretch pants every all the girls wear them except for you and I was saying like well you know I wear them a lot in the uh, winter and the fall, you know, because they're just comfortable. But I started thinking and I was like, why haven't I been wearing them recently? And there I have my own set of issues with like yoga pants. I feel like first of all, the elastic band on the stomach is super tight. Like it is really tight. And sometimes when I eat food, I feel like I get stomach cramps wearing those pants. That's a good point. Yeah. And and then there's other things like um, 
the whole who's allowed to wear a sweatpant thing. I think that's a different conversation, kind of unrelated, but just it bothers me the way sweatpants or not sweatpants, but yoga pants, stretchy pants belong to a certain kind of person and not other Mm. people are allowed to wear them because I just have so many memories of conversations, overhearing conversations of people being like, I wish some girls just knew they can't pull that off. And I think that's offensive too. Like there's so many problems with those pants. Yeah, it's like the skinny jean, like when they first, you remember when they first like skinny jeans kind of came on the scene and there was like this, you know, unless you have like really great legs, you really shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans. Mm-hmm. You know, like you kind of like left it to those girls with the long lean legs. And so I can, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like it's, it's reserved for a certain type of person or body type. And, and I feel you on that. Yeah. So yeah, there there are so many issues, and I think like before I I wore stretch pants all the time when I was gaining weight because you know they were comfortable and they were kind of the only things that really fit me when I was like uh, going up the scale and couldn't find things in stores. But at the same time, like they really kind of helped me in a bad way to ignore the fact that I was gaining. So in some way, I kind of feel like stretch pants can be a little bit of like a blinder effect or like a, like a, uh, I don't know, like an enabler in some capacity. And that's more like stretch pants as opposed to like the Lululemon cool Mm. yoga pant phenomenon that a lot of women are talking about. So that I'm, I'm more talking about like the easy casual sweatpant phenomenon than like the cool, like let's wear legging-ish thing. Do you I know? Gotcha. So yeah. 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 And yeah, it's like that's a reason to eat more because you have your stretchy pants exactly. on. Gotcha. Exactly. So it's it's yeah. So there's a lot, but there's a lot. But I think also like you were saying, like it's just it can be kind of this, I don't know, it can kind of put you in a state of mind. Like when you're not getting dressed I don't know that you do as much as if you like maybe put on pants with structure or, or like just put on an outfit every day. You know, it's like a kind of a, for me anyway, it just doesn't feel the same as maybe if I just tried to put in a little bit of effort. For me, I just get this like kind of like a rush of confidence when I like just try to put in like a clothing effort or something like that. But anyway, so we'll see what happens with the segment. But I think that's, that is awesome. That's something I haven't really ever thought about before. And I think that's really cool that that's something you can share because you've experienced one thing I really love about your story. I love so many things, but one thing in particular is you have experienced all different sides of the spectrum. You have gone through so much in regards to body image weights, you know, food, your relationship with your body and food, all the different things. So you can say what it feels like to be back in those days with those stretchy pants, but you can also say the difference in your, in the insides, how you feel on the inside wearing, um, clothes that make you feel, uh, I don't know, fun or just like, I wouldn't say just beautiful, but make you feel just like you want to go out and change the world. Like confidence. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are so many times in my life where I felt like I couldn't wear certain things or or couldn't experience, you know, a lot of clothing just because things are very size prohibitive. And now, I think nowadays, you know, I was big 10, 15, 20 years. I was big for, you know, 20 years of my life, the first 20 years of my life. And a lot of that, like plus size clothing today seems like so expansive. There's so many things you could buy. You could buy almost anything you want now is available in a plus size and really just as cute. It like sometimes maybe even cuter, but I feel like then you were, 
maybe I wasn't looking hard enough, but it didn't feel like you had the same options. So for me, losing weight 10 years ago, it was really like I was, the doors were opened to feeling like I had the same privileges of wearing clothes as so many people, which on one hand was really exciting, but on another hand was kind of sad. Like I, I gained access to this like exclusive club. Um, so it was fun. Uh, but it was also kind of like, oh man, I had to do all of this to just be able to wear clothing, which just seems like something that we should all just be able to do. Uh, but it, you know, for the most part, it was really great to kind of just to feel confident in clothes and to just be able to like, you know, put on things and not feel self-conscious or to not feel like you have to cover up all the time and, um, to be so aware of your body all the time. And that's, that's a huge, huge benefit of losing weight. Mm -hmm. And just being aware of what makes you feel the best. It doesn't have to be the clothing that's like the tightest. Cause you know, I know some people that are very spiritual and very enlightened and they wear all this tight clothing and they wear crop tops. And it's like, Oh, you look so just free wearing all this, this clothing. And like, you're just moving in it so flowy, but then I put it on and I'm not comfortable. I'm not right. comfortable. And I'm like, I have to honor myself that I don't feel good in this clothing. And just because it looks uh, nice, it looks flowy or it looks tight, it looks good, whatever it is, if it doesn't feel good on my body, it's not going to serve me the same kind of confidence purpose that it serves that person. Right. Because the whole point, I love that you brought up freedom. Like the whole point, I think the best part about losing weight is having freedom, you know, like freedom of choice, freedom of like feeling of movement of everything, like freedom of like, you know, kind of having less clutter in your brain of thinking about kind of like obsession with losing weight or anything like that. Just that free feeling is, is really like one of the best parts of uh, losing weight physically. And then also like the mental part of losing weight. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. Okay. So your book, I've got to tell you, I, I read your book um, a few months ago and I posted it on social media and I snapped it and I put it on Facebook. I was like, guys, I'm reading this really incredible book called It Was Me All Along. I remember hearing about it a while back and I put it on just this long list of books to read. I saw it at um, Barnes Noble and it was just like, hello, pick me up. And I grabbed it and I got it immediately because I was like, I just feel like this is going to be the book for me right now. I read that book so fast you are such a talented writer. I mean, thank you. Out of all thank of the you. books that I read, and I read a lot, you have the strongest ability to create a really good metaphor. Thank you. Thank <laughs> really you so good. Much. I started even writing down some of your metaphors because I was like, this is just like, I would never even thought about that. So I started this, like, uh, I have Evernote and I have all this stuff in Evernote for everything in my life. But I just started writing like cool metaphors and I just started yeah. writing down some of yours because they were so awesome. Like I, there's something about just the way you could describe how you felt about like your their point of view as a child, I think, was what first grabbed me. Because going back, because I want you to first start with just your childhood and giving us some insight into what it was like being a child in your body, how you felt, what you saw. But the way I'm just saying for anyone who has not read this book, the way that you went about describing your life, you know, watching your parents and watching your brother and your friends, you, you wrote as if you were a child writing the book, like still really good grammar and everything. But I could tell that you were talking about grown up things through a kid's mm. eyes, if that makes sense. It was really, really, really well written. Thank you. And thank you, I guess. Um, also, I think for picking that up, that really means a lot because I did try, um, oh, you know, many times to not be, uh, 
as conscious when I wrote the childhood chapters to not write it as like, you know, Andy Mitchell, I mean, I was 26, 27 when I wrote the book, but like not to be the 26 year old with all of this, like, you know, now knowledge Mm -hmm. in those years, because it just would have, it wouldn't have felt right. Like, you know, you're not discovering as a reader those things along the way with me if I wrote it with all of this knowledge now. So um, I tried to kind of write it, I guess, a little bit with more of a kid mentality. Um, But yeah, when I was younger, you know, I think I was really born, you know, with uh, food truly just never being food. Um, I, I couldn't and can't remember a time um, when I wasn't aware that I was big. I mean, I don't have memories where I wasn't like a, a chubby or fat or overweight. And I think when you're a kid, it's like that just feels like this immutable part of you. So it's like, it's not like you have a, a sense like, oh, okay, well, I could eat less and lose weight. It's just food. That is your character. You are, you are big. So in my house, you know, my mom, um, my mom is a nurturer through food. She's, she's Irish and, and she's one of nine and, and food is like, you know, you know, coming from this lineage of like food is scarce. You have to, a full fridge is like a full heart. It's like, that's family. So she, she fed and she nourished through food. Um, and my dad was a, a very bad alcoholic. Um, and, he, you know, he was fun when he ate and when he drank. And so I saw that, okay, so we're having fun when we eat and good times are had when we're around the dinner table. So I connect food to fun. And when we're, you know, when we're arguing and when it's bad, I can check out emotionally. I don't know it then, but I can kind of numb out when I'm just going to my room and I'm, you know, eating sugary foods, you know, like you don't recognize it then. But for me, food is the only thing as a girl to kind of control or to kind of comfort myself with and it's it's easy it's cheap it's 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 fun and it's it's available so food for me from my earliest memories is so much more than food I was never that kid that was like at the dinner table like trying to leave really quickly and go play I just I loved it so much for so many reasons um and it only got worse as I got older um you know, I, this is, I guess, kind of, you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of trauma just, you know, through my, my middle school years and, and, uh, as tragedy strikes and, and my dad gets worse and worse, I, I only learn to kind of turn to food more. Um, and that bond between like having triggering emotions and turning to food to fix them or feel like it's like a soothing presence just becomes like more, more strengthened. Uh, so it's really, it's, it's so muddy, my relationship with food. Um, and so I, you know, that's kind of like the beginning of my book, kind of like understanding, like, you know, it's not about the actual food and I think so many of us that have struggled with our weight or eating disorder or anything it's like recognizing like truly it is not about the food it is about the way we use the food Hmm. yeah as a child did you ever feel like you were the different one and then as you got older you were having to change your mind of not feeling like the different one anymore did that ever happen yeah I mean I always had this I guess um 
outsider sensibility to me, I guess. Like, uh, you know, I think my weight had a lot to do with that, just feeling like maybe an otherness or like Mm. that was what stood out about me. Um, And I knew you're very, I mean, it's it's very clear, um, even if it's not spoken outright, it's very clear that that is not... Um, acceptable. You know, I, I mean, I, it's funny because I, you know, I hear a lot of, I listen to so many podcasts about weight loss or I read stories about weight loss and people um, often say, and this always strikes me as odd. So I'd love to talk to other people about this, but the people say that they didn't realize when they were little and they were big, that it was a problem until X, until someone pointed it out. And I always feel like that's interesting to me because like, I guess I never didn't know it was a problem or I never didn't know that my weight was not ideal because I feel like so much of the world, like you can't escape that your weight is not great. You know, like I I, I feel like from your earliest encounters, like that's just, um, it's just so much of our society and our culture that like, even if you, you play with like a Barbie, I feel like there's a recognition like, oh, okay, well, Barbie is this size and I am this size. There's like not a synchronicity there. So I feel like I was always aware that I was different. And I think you recognize different to not be ideal. Mm. So I, I don't, that's, I, I mean, I guess that's an aside, but that's always strikes me as interesting. So I was always felt like I had to maybe work harder to fit in. So, uh, in some, some ways, and, and I address this in my book in a really major way, that feeling of being different or of feeling different otherness, um, really made me try so hard in so many other ways. And, and like, Maybe I, I I mean I really tried to be funny or self-deprecating or I I uh, I tried to do well in school. You really, in some ways, I, I developed a, a in a negative-ish way. I developed a real people pleaser gene that has not always served me. But in another way, I feel like I I worked on my personality in ways that I think have only served me throughout my life in in really great ways you know so so there's there's a real recognition like the inside really mattered a lot to me I said well okay if the outside's not ideal and I don't know how to change it because I'm a kid how can I how can I just work with what I have otherwise Hmm. that's really quite fascinating actually because I've had someone else on this podcast before that said something kind of similar saying as as a young person they knew that they weren't going to have the ideal outward appearance so they had to start being funny and like or be like the cool tomboy or yeah or something else that can be just as valuable in a different way and I can see how that's really a good thing because you are focusing more on the internal than the external which is awesome but the problem I can see is where the external becomes um something you feel less than for right Uh, yes completely and, and that's really hard. It's really hard to not, especially as a woman, uh, our like appearance is like, I mean, you don't want it to mean everything, but it, it really does. I mean, it's like, it's, it's just, we get it everywhere that like, you know, like not only thinness, but beauty um, and perfection is just, uh, it, it means so much in our world. So, um, I, I, I always had this sense that I was, I was compensating 
you know, mm. so I, I knew, you know, it was not like I had accepted myself as like, just like, okay, well, I'm just going to be the funny fat girl. I, I still wanted to fix the fat part, but I said, it, at least let me work on the funny part or let me work on the being smart in school and like skate by, like do well in school part or, you know, so like while I, I can't necessarily fix the outward part now, or if I'm failing at that part, let me work on the things that I can fix it at least more easily yeah. for me. So, but that is the sad part. The sad part is that I did kind of, you know, you always have that sense of like, but I've got to fix this part, but I've got, but this is so unideal and people don't like this part about me or, you know, and that, that really, that has such an ability to like eat away at you. And that's what leads you to like millions and millions of diets, as I write about in my book, which I started in eighth grade and then like felt like I never stopped. There was a quote inside of your book that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you said, you're talking about your mom, and you said, I resented her wanting me to lose weight while telling me that I was perfect the way I was, which I thought was mm-hmm. so powerful. Right. Um, because I feel, I oftentimes think that way as well. Like just thinking about one day if I have kids, what if that did happen? You know, I know right. it is It is within the mother's capability as well to, you know, form the eating habits of their children, you know. But what right. if that somehow happens and you want so badly for your child to feel like everything, there's no reason you need to compensate. They are perfect. But at the same time, you do want to help them, you know, go out and run during recess a little more easily. So looking right. back at that, do you wish that, she had done things differently or do you see that that's exactly how it would be if you were to do it? What are your thoughts like looking back as a, as a adult thinking about, you know, that feeling as a kid? It's hard because I kind of feel like that's how it, I feel like that's kind of how it would be regardless, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I get the question a lot, like now, you know, that I've written about kind of like, you know, being an overweight kid and what what that's like and, and kind of like, you know, there's a little bit like through the lens of my mom now because I, you know, I talked to my mom before I wrote the book and there's a lot about, you know, maybe her perspective a little bit. Um, and my sense that is now looking back, like I, I genuinely feel like my mom really did the best she could. I, I mean, and I'm not saying that to give her an excuse for feeding or overfeeding or nurturing through food like I mean I really believe that she did the best she could and like whether or not the best she could was the best for me is another story but like she was in trauma as well and she didn't know and whatever but the only thing parents can really do is kind of like lead by example and present healthy options and like just you know, they're the ones that are going grocery shopping. They're the ones that are preparing the meals, making the snacks, doing the things. So it's like, you know, I wasn't able to kind of go and like make, make a meal that was like healthy. So it was, you know, I think parents have a lot of responsibility in, in, in their kids, healthy eating. But at the same time, like, I think with our parents, we always have that sense. And I think this happens regardless of what your parent does. You always have this sense that your parents are judging you in some capacity. And I really think this is almost across the board, no matter what your parent does. Like you, your parents are who raised you. You feel like your parent wants the best for you, but they're kind of your like measure of, of, 
am I doing okay? Did I do it all right? Like, you know, and, and so, you know, I know my mom wants the best for me, but I, I, I could not help but feel like I, she knew I wanted to lose weight. But when I started to feel like she, she was on my team wanting to lose weight, even if she didn't put any pressure on me, just even having her on my team watching me felt like judgment. And I think we always feel that from our parents, you know, like, I think that's kind of like a, the older we get into our middle school years, I kind of feel like that's just a natural feeling we have. Um, but it's hard because, you know, she needed to step in, but how, how I was going to receive that is always like a little bit, you know, muddy with like, I don't want to feel like in my home, I'm also being, you know, uh, put to the same judgment that I am in the outside world. So I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm confusing everybody in this whole podcast, but, but I feel, I just, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I would have felt the same way regardless. And I feel like every kind of kid does like, you know, your parent wants the best for you, but you always kind of feel a little bit like, uh, angry if, if they want too much or they want do you feel judged by them. Don't, I mean, don't you kind of think like, I don't know, the more I talk to people, the older I get, I kind of always feel like we bought heads with our parents in that way. Maybe mm -hmm. I would have felt it more. And I, I definitely think my mom, if we could do it all again, should have stepped in more in a lot of ways. But I think we kind of always feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I can, re I can relate on my own level of just, feeling like um, there were certain instances now looking back, and I talk about them quite a bit on my podcast, just things where I, you know, I say I would have done that differently. Like that line that she said to me that one time or that my dad said to me that one time, you know, kind of changed the course of my life because it made me feel, because there were times where I felt like I wasn't thin enough or I didn't have long enough legs. And then I, I, I personally didn't necessarily ever feel judged by my parents, but I did feel like I, well, in certain instances I was, not in regards to my body, but I was in regards sometimes to recovery. I mean, even really? when yeah. I was going through recovery a bit, there were comments made from certain people like in the family arena that are just like, you're probably fine. You just, you're reading a lot and you think that your story resonates with other people's stories of recovery and you're actually a-okay. You're fine. You don't have any problems or anything. So stop like acting like you do. <laughs> oh, that is so hard, especially yeah. in recovery. Right. That is a dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause then you're like, well, maybe I don't, maybe I need to ignore all of these different instances of crying on the bathroom floor because I don't feel like I'm thin enough. Maybe that's not, maybe that's all in my mind and I'm overreacting for no reason. And that looking back, that was really hard for me. Like thinking that I would, it, who am I to feel this way? I had a great childhood. Who am I to feel this way? Like I have no right, but that is why oftentimes now I say you don't need a reason to feel the way you do. Right. And you don't need anyone to tell you that you need a reason because you don't. You feel the way you do for, for whatever reasons inside of your heart and that's enough. And you don't have to explain anyone. You don't have to be validated for it. You feel the way you do. Something happened and now you're working through it and I would, it just breaks my heart to think that some people open up to certain people and they're told that they don't deserve to feel that way or they're right. fine. Forget right. it, you know? Well, because then it, 
you know, it does the, you know, that, that kind of classic res- reverse psychology thing too, where you're like, well, should I try to be thinner so that you, then you'll understand that I have it? You know, right. like it, that's really challenging. I mean, I think that like the hard part is that, you know, there is no one that I care about their opinion more in this whole world than my mom. So I guess what I mean by like, with my mom's judgment, like for instance, like, and, and this comes up later in my book too, when I think about like leaving my career or it comes up with me now, if I think about making a career move, whatever I want to do. I mean, genuinely, I do not care about anybody's opinion other than my mom's. So for me, like the judgment of my mom is really like, I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I would pin that sense of judgment to her, like for no matter what. And my mom is like one of the most loving people in the world. And so I kind of think about um, the sense of judgment from my parent as like this internal voice of like us almost judging ourselves almost, mm. you know, it's like on a deeper level, it's like that is my harshest inner critic. And I, I'm able to like pin it on my mom almost, you know, she, then I can like kind of personify that critic on my mom too. Um, and then also she, you know, she's given me everything in some capacity. So then I can kind of put it on her. It's, it's so it's a real, it's a kind of like a messy thing, uh, this whole creation that I've made, but, mm-hmm. um, but feeling like judged, I guess, in, in any capacity is like, oh my gosh, that just made, you really don't have like a clean frame of reference for what you would, what you would choose, what you would do, any of your actions, if, you, if you're making it from a place of like, oh my gosh, I'm judged. So now, now what is my feeling? What is my action? So that I absolutely just, yes, I resonate with so much because I will do things that I am so proud of for myself. And then I will send them to my mom. Like say, for example, I wrote an article recently in the Huffington Post and I was so excited because this was a dream of mine since I was a kid. But the catch is, it wasn't like, I mean, I cussed, I think, once. And um, I made some, you know, I was talking about, it was, I called it uh, top five ways to get a sick pack because six packs, sick pack. I was trying to like play off that. And it was satirical and... One of the things was like, you lose your sex drive. And I was like, get ready to lose all those flowing juices and this and that. And like trying to make it kind of lighthearted and jokey. Right. But then I sent it to my mom and I was like waiting on edge all day long. So this is, this is so interesting how we live in different worlds from like, we live in our own little world thinking what's happening, what's going on. And then while we're waiting for someone thinking that, you know, for example, our mothers. So I think my mom really doesn't like my article. I sent it to her in the morning. You know, I text it to her, check this out. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And I'm like, what does she think? What does she think? What does she think? Like, I'm not allowed to like it and feel good about it until she reads it because I'm really scared that she's going to see that yes. there. I, I, you know, put a cuss word in there and I'm talking about uh, losing a sex drive. Cause I was so worried. Cause my mom is like, exactly like you know your mom is so compassionate and sweet and kind and I was so worried and I was just waiting on edge she didn't respond all day and all day I was kind of in an anxious ball waiting for her response to feel good about what I did but I had to wait until she told me how she felt and it turns out I didn't hear from her until the next day and she goes sorry sweetie I was working at my antique store blah 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 all day long I haven't had a chance to just read it it's so great so I spent all day waiting anxious and then I, yeah. I just saw that's a problem. Like I'm still doing that from when I was, you know, younger, just wanting to, we just want to please our parents. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is good to be able to say, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm going to stick by it because I made it and it came out of my heart. And I think that it's helping someone out there in the world. And that's more important than someone else's judgment of it, even though, you know, she Completely. did end up liking it. Yeah. 
Oh, completely. And, you know, I guess, like, I, I mean, I could relate to that more than anything. And I guess the good side to that is, like, maybe it's better to care more. Like, you know, whereas you could have cared a million times about how the audience responded to it. And I guess it's better to care, like, how your mom cares about mm -hmm. it versus, like, what, you know, a million people think. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, like, maybe it's a little bit healthier to care about, like, the people <laughs> yeah. that matter. You know? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I want to talk about, I have so many things on this list, but I have I had to choose carefully. Um, yeah. I think that the, con the conversation, okay, there's a part in your book where you are with your awesome friend, Sabrina, yeah. and oh, yeah. you're getting fries. Can you tell us about that revelation you had and, and yeah. what it felt like in that moment to discover something you never really thought about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the book, I'm driving very, we did this all the time. I'm in college and I'm driving with um, my best friend, Sabrina. And, you know, it's late night and we're driving around getting this like late night meal. It, it was really like a snack at that point. This is kind of what we did. Uh, we, you know, swing through Dunkin' Donuts and we get like a breakfast sandwich that we always loved and iced coffee. And then we go to McDonald's and it was the days when you could still get supersized fries, which we loved. And we were devastated when supersized was like not an option anymore. So we got a supersized fry and, you know, we're driving around listening to music and I'm eating the fry and I'm, you know, I'm taking a few bites and I'm like, you know what, this, so I hate McDonald's French fries. And like she kind of turned down the music and she's like, you know, like <laughs> you've eaten these fries like a million plus times. And it's like the realization hits me. Yes, I have eaten these fries maybe, I mean, hundreds of thousands of times in my life. And I'm eating them constantly and I'm finishing the fries and I'm still saying to myself, wow, I, I think these fries are like flavorless. They're soggy. They don't, I mean, they have no, they have no kind of like enjoyment factor for me, but how many times have I kind of just gone and on autopilot, like just gotten them because it's like a part of a routine and B just like something I do, you know, just thinking, well, yeah, McDonald's fries. Okay. I, I like fries, like a blanket statement. And I guess like that moment was like, it was, it's like so small. If you think I'm like writing, you know, I'm writing about this like odd, you know, seemingly like arbitrary night, but it kind of clued me in to this fact that these fries are like a symbol for so many foods that when I was big or gaining weight or just before I started, you know, not even, not only just like losing weight, but kind of changing my idea of how I wanted to eat in, in like my, my life there's so many foods that i kind of just ate just because like just because french fries are delicious like our society we just think like french fries are delicious donuts are good cookies are yummy like they're you know we just associate them with comfort and i just ate them because they were standard and routine and they were good so to speak but i i didn't even enjoy them and i kind of started to like say what are the other foods that I just eat and don't think about? And like slowly, like, I mean, I don't know that I eliminated them that day, but in kind of paying attention to like, what foods do I actually like? I was able to maybe eliminate some of the foods and, and make it a little bit easier to like transition away from them. Like, and if you really tune in, you're, you become slowly like, and easily a little bit more mindful of like, 
actually what you like and, and you're there by eating less and, and, you know, really actually enjoying what you are eating. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's one of the first times that you actually realized that food serves more purposes than just filling time? Yeah. Oh, completely. I mean, yeah. it, it was like, I, I think it was just like a realization that like, oh, like, uh, you know, food is just, you, you know, like, I, I mean, I guess, it, you know, I, I had understood like I like, I like food and I like eating food, but I don't think there are a lot of times when you, that I really tuned into like, how much am I enjoying the foods mm. that I'm eating or overeating? Because if you're going to eat or you're going to overeat, I really think it's like, I think I started to say like, let's make sure I actually like this food, you know, like, let's make sure that I'm even enjoying. And even today, like if I'm, I don't think that there's anything wrong. If you want to go to, you know, a restaurant and like have appetizers, dinner, dessert, and like, go, go to your limit, like make sure you like everything you're eating. And then there's no problem with the meal, you know? But if right. you, but you're only, if you're like half tasting it, half enjoying it, like, oh my God, put on the red light, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so powerful, that moment. And, and I, I feel like, um, I have those similar types of moments in, in my history of just dieting and dieting and dieting and dieting and dieting and wanting food that I didn't really want at all, didn't care for. Um, or like whenever my coach or trainer for whatever, fitness competition I was doing was saying, well, now you can have fries for a uh, cheat meal, which I hate, but a cheat meal. And I'd have fries because I was told to have them. I was allowed to have them finally, but I honestly didn't want them. I didn't want them right. at all. They weren't even right. good. I'd, I'd rather go back to my boring, you know, food that I was eating at the time than eat those fries because my intuition which was actually gone completely. Yeah. What little of it what was there way in the back, you know, was saying those, Ugh, you don't want those. Like, those aren't good. But I ate them, like, you ate them purely because, you know, it's a ritual. It's a comfort. It's a thing you do. For me, it was a thing I was told to do. So it's so just, this is something I want listeners to think about in their own lives because I know there are moments where we eat something simply because we feel like, we're supposed to, it's what everyone else is doing or blah, 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 whatever reason it may be. Everything except for my body craves it, my body yearns for it, my intuition wants it, or it's feeding something like the comfort that I need, the heart hunger, the nose hunger, mind hunger, whatever yeah. it is. That Those yeah. are all really awesome reasons to eat. Everything is good, a good reason to eat except for just doing it because whatever reason is not one of the above. Right. And you know, this, this sort of sensibility really helped me with a recovering from, you know, so I've, I've, I've struggled with two forms of eating disorders. So the first one was one of, you know, EDNOS. So eating disorder. I mean, that's actually that uh, naming is different now. And I'm not even sure what it is. I forget what it is, but eating disorder, not otherwise specified, but it was one of restriction and kind of just obsession with food and and that sort of thing. But, and then I've also struggled with binge eating disorder. So the first time, you know, after I lost the weight, um, when I struggled with, you know, an eating disorder where I was obsessed with calories and obsessed with like, Oh my gosh, like, how do I stay at this weight? Because I'm, I'm scared now. Um, this kind of sense of 
really trying to tune in to what do I actually like? Like, what foods do I actually like? Because we have this kind of, like, I think those of us who become like trapped in these like eating disorder cycles of thinking like food is this scary like huge grocery store buffet of like choices where we're overwhelmed by them all and how are we going to decide what to eat and I think if you can just sit down and pay attention to what are you craving right now like and what actually what if you really are are clear about we don't like every food You know, like even the foods that are quote unquote delicious to every person, like they're not delicious to you. Mm -hmm. Free yourself up from that. Like if maybe everybody likes chocolate chip cookies, like maybe you don't like chocolate chip cookies. Like for me personally, oh yeah. Like for me personally, like I, I genuinely don't like pasta. I'm a potato person. I'm a bread person, but I just like don't like pasta. So it's like, get that off your list and don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know what I'm saying? So that helped me with that. And then with binge eating disorder, that one, I'm able to kind of say like, wait, let's say I'm already in a binge cycle and I can't get out of it. At least I can know and I can try when I'm in the binge I can try to avoid eating everything and at least just try to eat the foods I'm actually craving right then, which sometimes that's harder than others, but I think it's helpful to try to tune in. So I think that like that's kind of like whole that whole like really trying to tune into what you actually like, what you actually crave is really more helpful than we even know. Like that is a huge part of like recovery from eating disorders and just like part of life, like every day when I want to eat healthy, like know yourself, know what you like, know what you don't like. And you end up eating less, maybe eating healthier. And and it, it becomes less of kind of this like clogged, cluttered mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like what you are describing is orthorexia, which mm-hmm. is what you went through on the second time. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. How did you glide into that? Because you lost. So first of all, I forgot to ask you how, what was your highest weight that you were at so that listeners yeah. have an idea? So I got up to 268 pounds. That was like the highest I remember seeing on the scale before I was like, oh gosh, like I'm, I'm terrified now. Um, and, and of course, like I had, um, you know, and that was my sophomore year of college. Um, and I, I was wearing, you know, a size, I'm 5'9", and I was wearing a size 22 pants. And I, you know, I I mean, I had started dieting in the eighth grade, but I, I didn't, you know, because doctor, I mean, oh gosh, throughout my life, the doctors had been like, you you know, Andrea, like you, buddy, you have to start losing weight. And, And I tried, I tried medically supervised weight loss clinics. I had tried SlimFast. I had tried Weight Watchers. I had tried everything. But by the time I was a sophomore in college, I was very aware that I was the biggest I'd ever been. I was wearing a size that like, you know, you really can't find in too many stores. And uh, I stepped on the scale at like the YMCA by my house. It was summer and I was going to like try to lose weight that summer, you know, just for the summer. Um, and I stepped on the scale and, and, and I, I don't know, I, I just saw how close that was to 300. And I knew then, and I say this in my book that, you know, I had never lost weight in my life. I mean, never more than, I mean, maybe I had lost 10 pounds, maybe I had lost 20, but I'd never lost weight, kept weight off. I had only ever gained weight in my life. And I knew here I am almost 300. Where does it end? 
So that kind of scared me awake enough to really say like, I have to do something now. So I started honestly that day, that day seeing that, that summer uh, in 2005 and, and really was so set on fire. I think you become almost like really when you're ready you become possessed with motivation. I think that's like the only way to describe your moment of change. And I, I was so ready, I didn't stop. I, I just, I made at first just kind of like my own changes, like my own, I'm gonna eat better, I'm gonna give up soda. I drank a lot of Sprite, I, you know, I, I cut back on foods that I ate, you know, I, I made changes and I started losing weight and seeing a difference and, and I get the long story short, like about a year and change later, um, I had lost 135 pounds and, you know, it was, it was like, I mean, obviously completely life altering, you know, I was, I was, you know, really transformed, but what happens, you know, you lose all this weight and of course you're confident in your body, you know, you feel good. There's like a, there's a huge weight off of you literally but I mean I had never been thin a day in my life I had never been normal let's say quote unquote but I was really developing this like terrifying fear of gaining the weight back because you know I don't know how to be normal around food I don't know I was like a, a sober drunk you know like I was like not aware how to turn back to food as a coping mechanism number one you know because it's like okay I could work on losing weight for a year, but how do you not just get off of the diet, you know? So how do I stay there? And that was really a building a fear in me. Like, how do I not live this like everyday stay to a calorie routine? Like, how do I not compulsively exercise? So that was when a real like eating disorder set in for me and like a real like kind of diet prison, it felt like. And how did you get out of that? I'm curious. You know, honest to God, like therapy really was, I think, the only way I could do it Um, because I felt because, you know, there's no as much as, you know, I was so lucky. I had an amazing boyfriend at the time. I had I have amazing best friends um, and as my mom is wonderful. My stepdad's wonderful. But like you can't. I didn't understand what I was going through. You know, here I was, I was morbidly obese a year ago. How do I explain that now I have an eating disorder? You know, it, it was, it was so um, shameful to me. It was so like, people are like, you're supposed to be happy right now. You look amazing. And you're hearing all these compliments, but on the inside, you're panic stricken you don't know how to go out with your friends. I'm in college. You don't know how to be happy. Your your life is depression and anxiety. And you feel like you're alone with your thoughts and you don't want to be. You can't sleep. Um, so I really had to seek out a therapist and, and one that specialized in eating disorders. Because I just I just knew something this is not right. Like I can't live feeling this way. So I thought I sought out a therapist um, and started like really talking this through. And she kind of led me on to realizing like, okay, this is, you know, you've never treated food normally in your life. Like if you think about it, I mean, morbid obesity or just struggling with your weight in a real capacity for 20 years, like, buddy, that's, that's an eating disorder too. You know, I mean, it's not like you've, you haven't really played this game well for many, many years, you know? So I kind of had to come to terms like, 
I've never used food normally, you know, so I have to start now, like at this point in my life, building a relationship with food that's kind of like balanced and moderate. And that is going to be really hard to not want to backslide into like gaining. It was a really challenging time. Um, and I saw, you know, I started seeing a nutritionist uh, at the same time. And so my nutritionist and my eating disorder uh, therapist would kind of like, they would, they would interact too. And that was kind of nice to have like a team. Um, and, and so it was, you know, it was really helpful at the time. I mean, it wasn't easy. Honestly, it was like, a, I spent like a year doing that. Uh, but the therapy was hard because, you know, I say this in my book, therapy is challenging because uh, the, the best way I can describe it is it really feels like you take everything out of every box and every nook and cranny of your house and you put it on the floor and then you really don't know where to put it all, how to put it all back. You don't know where it went. You know, like it, it's this like massive take it all out of all of the drawers and then you're left with it all like kind of in a pile in the middle of your living room. You know, have you ever felt that way? Like it's, it's really like this, it's this massive like project and, and it doesn't always feel good. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really, it's a, it's a true um, proce process, I guess. Um, and, keep yeah. going, keep going. No, it just, it just took, it took a lot, but it, but more than anything, I guess like, you know, it's not like you start therapy and then therapy thereby fixes you. It is a decision that I couldn't, I didn't want to, I guess this is the key. I didn't want to live or be thin if this is how my life was going to be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like being thin was not worth feeling like I wanted to die every day or like I had to compulsively exercise, run four or five miles a day. So I had to really like decide like, I have to change, you know? So there were a lot of days when I didn't want to because you feel like you can't change. But I guess you have to decide that for yourself when you're ready, um, I guess, to, to make the commitment that, like, I have to find balance no matter how hard it is. Absolutely. I'm just sitting over here nodding my head at almost everything oh. you're saying because I understand that exactly that feeling of knowing the thing is people oftentimes believe it is therapy's job to change you you know right the work doesn't have to happen outside of therapy it just happens in therapy and it's up to right. the therapist but it's not it you no there's this um I don't know if you know who Gabby Bernstein is yeah yes spirit junkie yeah yes, spirit right. junkie love 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 her and she says you can't mess with someone's rock bottom and Personally, I believe rock bottom is when you make the decision to start deciding every day it is up to you. And mm. you use therapy as that tool to guide you and, and bring to light the things you hadn't ever thought about or you didn't know about yourself to take the things out of the drawer or scatter them around. But right. it's up to you as you walk out that door to remember what you learned or remember the insights that you gained right. and make the choice to pick one over the other, you pick happiness, you pick freedom over thinness because thinness is not everything. Your body is not you. So it's a little bit strange that we just let our bodies rule our minds. They're connected, but they are not equal. Your, right. your mind, you have the power to decide that 
how thin you are isn't a measurement for how happy you are because you know deep down that that thinness, that perfect body you created is a prison for you. Maybe not for everyone, but for you, and I'm really speaking about myself right now, that body that I spent so long creating and the same for you, you know, it's just, it it can become where you are a prisoner. You are chained to it and you want that freedom. You have to break those chains. Completely. I couldn't agree more. So today, when when you're eating and your 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 relationship with food, do you ever have moments where you're brought back to one place or the other? And how do you react to that if you ever do have those moments? I do. I really do. And I, I like you know, throughout my life, I guess my biggest realization to date, you know, in of of the past 10 almost 10 years you know since i've lost weight is that it is a complete you know we go through waves with this and that it's never like you figured it out and then you just ride then you coast mm-hmm. let's put it that way um so one of the biggest takeaways from having lost the weight almost 10 years ago was that I struggle with depression. And I, the depression for me, really, that plays out with how I use food. You know, like, so the way that I use food is almost like, becomes like, you know, like my, my binging or like, you know, if I ever restrict, although nowadays it's funny because now, you know, like the binging almost became, and this is very common for people who have gone from, you know, uh, an eating sort of restriction to, to one of binging. Um, but I almost can't imagine going back to restricting. Uh, so, so binge eating is, 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 if I'm going to struggle with an eating disorder, it's going to be binge eating. Um, and I talk about that a lot on the blog, but, um, if I'm going to struggle with binge eating disorder, it's often because I'm dealing with, uh, a bout of depression. So for me, I know that my life, no matter if I'm going through intense joy, if my book comes out, if my book does well, if I'm going through like a happy time in in a, a personal relationship, depression is like insidious. You know, it's like you, I have waves of it. I am not immune to it. I am just this person that like, I experience emotions. I have stress. I have all these things. And like, I really have to commit to uh, really practicing like a mindful life, like an intention filled life. So it's easy to want to wake up every day and like, just think it should be easy or that we should be able to kind of autopilot life. But life is active. Living requires us to be conscious and to, to wake up every day and like make choices big and small. So I have to check in all the time. I have to recommit and I have to kind of like be honest with myself if I'm struggling or, you know, uh, I have to take a medication for like an antidepressant and, and recognize like for me, like that's just my reality to feel normal. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and I, I don't think, I personally don't think that I will be without a binge for the rest of my life. Like I think I will have moments where I'm going to struggle with binge eating and, and, and periods where I won't, but I'm very okay with, uh, the fact that I will be able to like kind of 
uh, be aware, you know, and, and to kind of like recommit and, and like accept myself and like be less hard and, and feel less shame. And I don't know, you know, I, I'm, I'm just more aware that like, it's okay to know that like life comes in these waves and every day I just have to wake up and deal with it, you know? Oh, yes. I'm so grateful that you just shared that honesty with us because it's so true. You're not always just coasting. There are waves of ups and downs and different kinds of trials yeah. from our past that we have to face again, but it's okay. And you have to know that it's okay without having any kind of shame with it. So that's so, so powerful again and so beautiful that you shared that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I think that is a, we have a quick fire round, but that's a wonderful way oh, to yeah, wrap up good. that. So can, before we go to the quick fire round, can you just uh, tell my listeners, I will have all the links to this on the show notes, but can you go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find you and connect with you from here? Yes. So um, they can find me on my blog, uh, canyoustayfordinner.com. Um, and then I'm pretty much Andia Mitchell on all social media. Wonderful. And everyone listening, you can find those links directly at maddiemoon.com slash mbm66. Okay, so quick fire round time. Number one, what does body freedom mean to you? Um, body freedom means accepting where you're at no matter where you're at. Current book that you are loving or you're reading? Ooh, um, gosh. I'm not reading anything right now, but the last book I read was Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin, which is great. It's all about creating healthy habits. Love it. Who is your biggest inspiration, dead or alive? Mm. Um, my mom, honestly. Mm. Uh, can you share a good quote with us? Oh, God. Um, I really like... Every passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. Ooh, I like that a lot. It's powerful. Yeah, it's fun. Okay. Oh, and and I like uh, you can improve your body and love your body at the same time. Oh. I just saw that last night. I love that one. It's That's really nice. a good one. You know, it's um, nice. Future dream you're working towards? Um. Oh God, I'd really like to work on book number three. Book number three. Which might be yeah. Like so, I have a cookbook coming out next March, but oh. I'd really like to work on another book. Um. And that will have like, you know, one part, like, like another kind of like memoiry type thing, mm. but you know, obviously not rehash the whole life, but some, maybe a book number three. Please do it. Yes, <laughs> I would love to read it. Thank you. Favorite way to distress at the end of a day. Mm. Oh, this is a good one. Um, I really like, oof. I really like hot showers. I think hot showers with some sort of like aromatherapy type like aspect, like a really good smelling body wash or something. It, it's the best. Last but not least, what is the change you want to see in the world? Mm. I would like keep everyone to focus on their own happiness. Like don't try to make everyone else happy. Just focus on your own happiness. And then I think that will spread to every, everywhere else. What the world needs is more happy people. And that'll yeah. make it, that'll spread. Yeah. Everyone else will You happier. realize that, don't you think you realize that the more you get older, you're like, if you focus on like your own thing, you're going to be mm -hmm. fine. You know, it's, it's not, it's not selfishness. It's like, mm -mm. if you take care of yourself, mind, body, and spirit, you're so much better able to, to deal with the world. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Anyway. Well, yeah. Annie, this was so awesome. Thank you so ah. much for coming on the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm so inspired by you. Um, I've listened to podcasts that you've done, and I just think your story is amazing. And I love the work you're doing, and I'm so inspired by it. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. Yeah, you, you're you one of the guests that I've been, um, you know, when you're so excited to talk to someone, you're, you're nervous. That's how I've been feeling. I've been so excited. Yeah, I've been so excited. Thank nervous. you. Oh, thank you. No, I know. You know, it's funny because I, I know that we have a lot you know, a lot to talk about, you know what I mean? Like there's so many things we could cover, like, you know, from body image to like just the, just the general trends in the world of like health and fitness. And I, I just think there's so much we could cover all the time that like, it's really good to connect. And I'm sure we could continue this conversation for like 18 hours. So it's good to have like today to, to really get, get together. Yes, I absolutely agree. And we will probably, well, I will, I always say we, but I will have to have you back on the show again sometime to talk some more as things progress. And good. Um, to everyone listening, head on over to the show and get the show notes for this so you can see what we talked about and get all the links, especially the link to her book. And that will be at maddiemoon.com slash mbm66. 